2: Tom Bernard show with
1: co-host Catherine Brandt,
3: Andy Bernard, Mike Molina, and Doug Sprinthal.
2: Oh no, Doug Sprinthal's in. Oh, thanks. Wait a minute, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Did you hear that?
1: You hurt my <laughs> feelings. Mike was off.
2: Yeah, I, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Coming up, three goats and the goat, Barnwell's lessons on an improbable NFL Final Four, and how to teach your brain something it won't forget a week later.
4: It's
2: been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you?
4: And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Brian. You know who's here. I was just looking at it.
2: So, sorry I didn't get right on to you, but I was looking at an email from, or a text, actually, from Joe who said, uh, Doug probably needs a safe space now.
3: Oh, (laughs) for for why?
2: Well, because you said your feelings were hurt, so now you have to go to your safe space. Oh, I get it. Come on, man. Safe space. I'm a little
3: slow. It's been 50 below up here.
2: I know. God. I know. So what's happening at Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com?
3: Well, I want to talk about two things. First of all, I want to just run through all the dealerships we have in both locations and then uh, give some people some information. So in Minnesota... Uh, And the reason I do this is that I get calls and emails all the time from people going, hey, do you have this kind of dealership? And apparently they don't have access to the Internet. So if you're one of those, in Minnesota we have a Honda store, Nissan, Mazda, Subaru, Toyota. Actually, we have three Nissan dealerships, uh, Chrysler and Hopkins, Hyundai up in uh, Brooklyn Park, and our latest ones are Polar, Mazda, and Chevrolet up in White Bear Lake. Uh, In... Wichita, we have Audi, Lexus, Mercedes, Jag, Land Rover, BMW, Acura, and Porsche, and many. Uh, so here's the information. We've got a lot of brands, and and, and people have questions about cars. They've, I've been getting a lot of emails in the wintertime because I think people, understandably so, don't want to go car shopping unless they know what they want. If you have questions about buying a car, Um, some advice on whether you should trade or not, all this sort of stuff. And as a matter of fact, I've been emailing Joe's girlfriend. Uh, I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if he wants me to tell people that he actually has a girlfriend who needs advice on a, uh, on leasing a car, and I actually told her, you better hold off a few months because it's going to be better if you wait a little bit, And in, in her particular case. If you want some advice, just email me at Doug at and I'll do what I can to help you. If we've screwed something up, if we've made a mistake, please reach out to me as well, and I'll do what I can to see if we can uh, fix things. That's what I get.
2: Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. I got There we go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I found this. What? Nothing. What are you laughing at, liar? You liar. Sorry. I found this. Uh, There's an article uh, appeared on ESPN a couple of days ago, but I thought it a pretty fascinating article. Brady, Bortles, Foles, Keenum. If you had those guys in your quarterback final four before the season, congratulations on successfully traveling back in time to in this uh, to this entertainingly weird season of football. This was the weekend when a quarterback crop with four former league MVPs and/or four future Hall of Famers could have knocked four neophytes out of the water. But the passers with the combined career playoff record of 49 and 27 lost three of to that's amazing. Three of four of the quarterbacks who came into the divisional round with one playoff start before this year, one playoff start before this year. It's too simplistic to use those three wins as the basis for a trend piece on how the league has changed. Two of those wins came down to the final play. If Julio Jones doesn't slip and Marcus Williams doesn't duck, the story might be about how veteran quarterbacks and experience are what wins close games in the postseason. Instead, the reality is that we ended up with three games that were each close enough to be decided or put out of reach by one play. Which to me is exciting football. Sorry, but it is. That is in itself the story of 2017, even if we won't be the, uh, it won't be the story of 2018 and beyond. There are lessons to be learned from each of the quarterbacks who have made it to the Final Four, even if we couldn't possibly have predicted their rise before the season started. Let's run through those lessons and talk about what happened during the divisional round, starting with the story you already knew. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but we're just going to highlight it. You know, we have Tom Brady, of course, the New England Patriots first. Pressure or die, that's the lesson. The story is true for everyone, but it holds especially true for teams facing one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. If you don't get pass pressure on Brady, you simply are not going to win. That's enough said. There's a lot more about him in there, but if you don't get pre- pressure on Brady even in the Super Bowl, I don't care if you got a three-touchdown lead, you don't get pressure on the, on the quarterback, on Tom Brady, you're going to lose the game. And that's what happened in the Super Bowl last year. Blake Bortles, Jacksonville Jaguars. Lesson, what comes next? Well, nobody knows. From weeks 13 to 15, as I mentioned in my column last week, uh, Bortles posted the league's best passer rating of 128.6, total QBR of 85.1 over his three subsequent games. Bortles was a 30th in passer rating, 62.3, and 18th in QBR 44.9, 44.9, with most of the latter owing to his work as a scrambler in the wild card win over the Bills. The Jaguars narrowly beat Buffalo, but Bortles looked bereft of confidence, and they looked badly overmatched on offense for their game to come with the Steelers. And then on Sunday, Bortles was a genuine threat again. He got off to a hot start, completing his first three passes for 53 yards. And he just goes on and on and on. Basically, he doesn't have an answer why Blake Bortles is in the AFC Championship game. Now, this guy was drafted, what was he, uh, Molina, you might know this, was he third overall in the the draft? Yeah, I believe so. I think he was third player chosen overall. Yep. uh, And has really done nothing up to now, so, you know, we shall see what happens. But this guy really has no answer uh, for Blake Bortles. Nick Foles, Philadelphia Eagles, suggesting that coaching plays a big role in winning football games isn't exactly some newfangled secret, but we often underestimate just how much it really matters in thinking about matchups before a game. Foles was not very good on Saturday night, especially during a rough start for the Eagles' offense. It's a small miracle that Foles didn't throw an interception to Keanu, or Keanu Neal, excuse me, who had the ball bounce off him and to Torrey Smith, which became the biggest play on what ended up becoming a critical field goal just before halftime. The problem with that game is, that they're not mentioning, is Bob Sansevier, writer for the Pioneer Press and on the KQ Morning Show, also does the BS uh, podcast. He said, look, the equipment manager should be fired. They had the wrong shoes. Guys were scrambling to change their shoes as the game went on. They never got it all done. Does Julio Jones slip if he has the right shoes on? I doubt it, right? So that all came down to equipment more than it did who who was playing quarterback because that ball was there. It just, because he wasn't ready, Julio Jones went right through his hands. I mean, it did. I'm not saying that Julio Jones is not a phenomenal player because he is. He's terrific. But uh, that was a little bit different story. That's all. I, just a, that's the best way to put it. It's just a little bit of a different story. And finally, we get to the really important one. Even though J.Y. from Sticks this morning picked Philadelphia to beat the Vikings on the KQ Morning Show. I hate Sticks. I told him that. Ne- well, there you go. Next week, I told him we were going to have uh, – <laughs> We're going to have uh, uh, Dewey Bunnell from America do football picks. <laughs> and I also said Lou Graham from Foreigner because I thought, you know, well, that's not really a fair comparison. So I went with Lou Graham from Foreigner and get rid of J.Y. from yeah. Sticks. Now, J.Y. is a great guy, really good guy. Case Keenum, Minnesota Vikings. Lesson, it's the situation, not the player. I, I don't know how you can still say that yeah. all these games later. He's played, what, now, 15 games? Mm -hmm. Didn't didn't Bradford? He he only played two games this year, right?
3: I think he got hurt in the third, didn't he? Well, he tried to come back in the Monday night game in Chicago. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, right. So, basically. I'm not a football guy, but he's not a flash in the pan. You can't perform at that level in the NFL just on luck. It's just, that's.
2: And it's not the situation. Uh, it, It was the player. Keenum did a hell of a job. Sorry. When the Vikings desperately needed a big play on offense, it didn't seem like they had it in them. Both Keenum and offensive coordinator Pat Shermer have had breakout seasons in 2017, and it would not be a surprise to see them both making a lot more money and bigger roles together somewhere else next season. I think that Case Keenum might follow Pat Shermer to the New York Giants. That is a possibility. It's a definite possibility because I uh, I, I think that Eli Manning has one year left, and that's about it, if he has one year left, you know? After the Saints went up 21-20 to in the fourth quarter and Keenum needed to march the Vikings down the field, he and his offensive coordinator had few answers. On their first drive, Keenum looked frazzled and came up with one big play, a 24-yard duck to Adam Thieland that saw the star receiver draw two flags on star corner Marshawn Lattimore and still come up with a circus catch, which is very, very true. Uh, but I tell you what. The problem that you have with this guy's article is he basically says that what Case Keenum threw up there to Diggs was a heave. It was not a heave. It was a very accurate, very good pass, great play. I cannot believe how high Diggs got in the air for that ball, man. Those guys get up in the air. It's unbelievable. Marcus Williams, who showed nothing but class after the game, missed time to play. It happens. He didn't want to draw a flag. So he missed time to play. It happens. It's happened to us.
3: Plus for Diggs to be able to hold himself up by his hand. I mean, to keep his balance, keep in bounds, stay up. I mean, yep. Oof.
2: So, I mean, there you have it. It's just, it was, it was wonderful football to watch. It is NFL football. These guys are world-class athletes. That's why who, uh, plays is important and how they play very, very important because it just is what it is. Uh, I think today, I don't know what I did, whatever, but God must hate me because I scroll back up to uh, to delete that to post, and what do I have right now? I have Stephen A. Smith screaming at me, lessons of an impossible QB Final Four in 2017, the NFL playoffs. <laughs> All I need is that guy yelling at me. He is the worst I've ever seen. You guys like him? on the, He's on ESPN, right?
1: Yeah. I have yep, no idea does, who it uh, is. First
3: take. <laughs>
2: Yeah, first take. There you go. That's the name of the show. Can't stand him. You ever watch? You ever watch him?
3: Yeah, it's on the it's on at the gym, so I'm kind of forced to watch it.
2: Well, that's true. It does come up on the gym, doesn't yeah. it? But I uh, I tell you one thing. I got up early this morning. I just woke up early, and I just sat down and watched some stuff. There, ESPN Radio. Oh my God, those national shows that are on ESPN Television and on on nationally syndicated radio and ESPN Radio. Oh my God, those shows are bad. It's all this kooky stuff, and uh, hey, look who's wearing their lucky uh, jock strap today. Uh, really? <laughs> really? That's your big joke, is it? Your lucky jock strap? High class.
3: You got to watch just, uh, ESPN Deportes.
2: Deportes in Spanish?
5: Yep.
2: Uh. <laughs> you are not going to get over that, are you?
3: No, I live over in Little Mexico, so most of you, you hear <laughs> oh, more Spanish than you do English. It'd be yeah, better listening true. to Joe Buck. That'd be kind of fun, have a few beers and listen to the Spanish broadcast.
2: <laughs> if you did it enough, you'd learn Spanish. So. You would, yeah. That is true. God, there are tons of really good stories up on the wire uh, today. Speaking uh, of stories, uh, although how long do we have left in this segment? About four minutes.
5: Yep.
2: Eh, I don't know why. We'll have Alex wait until the second segment. Oh, was Alex on the phone? Yeah, no, is, no, so... now it'll be a perfect time to do it. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, she, she can stay on that if she wants to.
3: Fanfare. Alex. Alex dun, 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 dun. Yeah.
2: You're driving. I want you to pay attention to the road while you're on the air. Yeah, you. Hi.
3: That's what I'm doing. The roads are perfect,
5: there's not a cloud in the sky. I'm making very good time, so it's all good.
2: Okay, so you're going to visit a friend who just had a baby as well up in Fargo, North Dakota.
1: We can say her name, can't we? Yep, Natalie,
5: my old friend. She just had her baby yesterday, and I'm going to go meet the little
2: baby. She's going to meet the little baby. Now, there's a true friend that would drive 500 miles round trip to go meet your baby. Yeah. I sure as hell wouldn't.
1: She did it for fun, so I'm doing it for her. I know.
2: Natalie is a good friend. It is a it's wonderful thing, good, and we got about we got about two or three minutes left in this segment here, so I, we're just going to do a little tease here, and then you can stay through the a short break, right? Um,
5: yeah, I have to get gas in like 20 minutes, so I
2: should I'll be fine. No, 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 this will not. That won't be a problem at all. There's no problem at all. So, uh, I already I did not mention the sex of the baby on the KQ Morning Show this morning because I, I didn't have your permission to do it. I already blew it that, the fact that you were pregnant at the Hall of Fame uh, speech anyway. <laughs> By saying that Fawn, first of all, was seventeen years old when she was seventeen months old, I uh, did yeah. mention the fact that that Fawn actually is the one who told us the sex of the baby you're you're going to have in June.
5: Yep.
2: So, which I thought was very very cool. She said, "How did she know what what to say?"
5: Well, here's what said happened. It, you, Every okay. single time I asked her what the gender was, she just repeats the last one I said.
2: Oh. Oh, so, so, so that's say, it, she just repeated it.
5: No. Yeah. If I say, it's because she's brilliant. She goes, girl. And if I say, is the baby a girl or a boy? She goes, boy. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> well, I, you. Just, well, you I know.
5: just did it in the right order.
2: I think it's unbelievable. I think it's wonderful as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, it's very exciting. And again, like I said, I blew the fact that uh, you didn't, hadn't announced you were pregnant yet on November 2nd when we were all in Chicago, including Melina and of course Doug Sprinthall on uh, the home studio. We were all down in Chicago and I was on stage and I, was, I just got wrapped up in the moment because I was so, so happy and proud to be having another grandchild. And the fact that Fawn was with us uh, at the hotel and, and behaving as well as she could, except for she kept changing the buttons on my media center in uh, Mom and uh, our room. <laughs>
1: no, we couldn't figure oh, yeah. out how to turn on anything.
2: We couldn't watch television, we couldn't listen to music, whatever, because she changed all of the inputs at 17 months old. She just walked up and changed all the inputs. She's what?
5: She does.
2: She loves to push buttons, there's no question about it. So what we're going to do in a couple of seconds, we're going to go to break, and then Alex will come back, and we're going to find out the gender of the baby she's about to have. And it's, uh, what, what, what's your delivery date?
5: June 5th. For June now.
2: 5th. The yeah, for now. It's year, because it,
5: bigger, so they might move it, but I
2: don't know. So, <laughs> Fawn knows she's going to be an older sister. How's she handling that? Good.
5: She's obsessed with babies, so I'm not worried about it.
2: Yeah, that's true. She's obsessed with babies. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. She you thought really uh, watching baby. television. She That's... thought Charlie Brown at Christmas time, Charlie Brown Christmas. She thought Charlie Brown was a baby.
1: She's very self-absorbed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that, anyway. But uh, you know, it's it's pretty amazing though. You're going to have a baby in just a few months, and you're making this drive. Well, I guess it is what five months. Well, no, not five months anymore. It's about four and a half months now, right?
5: I'm 20 weeks. I'm halfway.
2: Yep. There you go. Four and a half months. Halfway. So, yep. I, I, I don't know. For us, it's very, very exciting. So, uh, you want to take a break here? Melina will come back, and, ca- and uh, Alex will, could make her announcement. Uh, sure. We still we got some time t- left in this <clears throat> thing.
3: Yeah, technically it's 20 seconds, but.
2: Well, no, we, we could schmooze for 20 seconds. We've got to stay right on time for all the affiliate stations around, uh, around the state. Uh, we'll get out on time, but Alex will be right back with us. She's going to tell us the sex of the baby. It's very, very important. And we'll yep. find out why right after this. Tom Bernard Show.
0: I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company.
2: If you've noticed your vision getting cloudy, blurry, or dim, or having more difficulty seeing at night, you could have cataracts. Tom here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they do much more? They do, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age where my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Of course, Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology and vision options available so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you've been told you have cataracts or you're wondering why things just aren't as clear as they used to be, call the experts at Whiting Clinic or go to whitingclinic.com to learn more. See the folks at Whiting Clinic in order to see your very best, and don't forget to tell them that I sent you. (laughs) back on the Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. Alex is in a car on her way to Fargo, North Dakota, to visit her friend who just had a baby. And uh, she's going to have a baby on June 5th. She found out the gender of that baby yesterday. I did mention this morning on the KQ Morning Show that I saw the images that you had sent. Mom showed them to me and you thought the baby was sucking its thumb, it very clearly, to me, was talking into a microphone. <laughs> it was holding yeah. up their hand, talking into the microphone, because they want to follow their grandpa and grandma and uncle. God and
1: help everyone. Everybody
2: else to the microphone.
5: Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, it had not worked out too bad for this family, so it all works out in the end. All right, so uh, you FaceTime us. You got yep. Dan there. You, yep. you were there. Was Diane there as well?
5: Diane was there, yes. My mother-in-law.
2: I thought that, yeah, your mother-in-law, Diane, was there. I didn't hold the phone. Mom did, so I didn't know. And then Fawn made the announcement, so take it away, Alex.
5: Well, we are having a boy.
2: A little baby boy.
1: And who knew that? Who said it was a boy? (laughs) I did. And? you? Yep.
2: Yep, the two women who was a boy. I had no idea. They asked me over and over. Tom, saying, I don't know. Yeah,
1: you wouldn't commit.
2: Well, I didn't no. know. Plus, I, did, I didn't want to show favoritism one way or the other.
1: Wasn't favoritism? I didn't want to say
2: it was a boy easy. because then Fawn would hold it against me in, the, in future years going, apparently you didn't like having a granddaughter because you asked for a boy. No. I, I guarantee you she'd turn on me.
1: No, she wouldn't. No, there's a difference between
5: thinking it's a boy and wanting it to be a boy.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: That's exactly the way I looked at it. But yeah, I don't think a whole lot of grandparents really care about the gender of the baby that much. No. I
1: would have been great with either one, yeah. but I just thought it was a boy.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the gender of the baby, it's more of like a what part of their life is going to be the most obnoxious thing. What? That's true. Well, because it's <laughs> like, you know, now, teenage everyone... boys, you have to worry oh. about uh, them getting into trouble and, you know, getting oh. themselves destroyed. Yeah. And then She's with girls, disgusting. it's like you have to worry about we have to worry about them, like you know, getting all emotion about the about their first haircut and their
2: first period and all that kind of stuff. And or pregnant. pregnant. And well, oh yeah, God, yeah, we're pregnant. Even, I can't even imagine. Yeah, let's not even talk about that. I I had a suggestion for a name, but it was turned down immediately, since it was Fawny F A W N Y. I thought they should go since it's a boy with R A W N Y Fawny and Ronnie, but they turned me down. They said, mm-hmm. forget it. Because yeah, you can't true. go with Bonnie. You can't go with Connie. You can't go with Dawn. We're not going to you know, have Those are all girl names. names.
5: Like
1: Why of- not?
2: <laughs> Let's go. God. Let's go, rhyming names.
1: Yeah, okay, Tom.
3: <laughs> I had a friend uh, of mine, I this think we, back in the early 90s, named his daughter after L McPherson. And they had had another child, a boy, about two or three years later, and he came in and he's handing out cigars. And one of my friends at work says, so what did you name uh, your son? And he goes, oh, we named him Evan. And my friend looked at him and he goes, oh, that's cute. Evan and L." You should have seen the blood drain out of his uh, face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Did you forget the H? Yep.
2: Evan and L. That's <laughs> wonderful. Oh. I was oh, thinking L Evan, but or L11 yeah or 11, 11 the number 11 yeah. L11 <laughs> Evan and L oh, i'm sure That's they're bad. wonderful they're children fond and of the and they're proud the, parents they're all right are workhouse get get back to, to paying attention to the road and drive safely
5: and congratulations I'm almost, thank you I'm almost you're almost where. Alexandria, in alexandria so i'm almost halfway
2: you're almost halfway do not speed in otter tail county because that uh, highway department of highway is in alex is alex there you go. What? All right, Alex, drive carefully, and then give us a call when you're back home tomorrow. Will do. All right, love you. Congratulations.
5: Thank you. Love you, too. Bye.
2: Bye. <laughs> Bye. Here's Alex just barking it out. Uh, that'll be, you know, again, we're grandparents. It doesn't matter to us. Two little girls, one little girl, one little boy, whatever the situation is. doesn't matter. No, are she, she and Dan uh,
3: planning on having, like, a hockey team? I thought she told me they wanted, like, four or five kids
0: she did say that but i think she's gonna figure it out
2: eventually okay yeah one little girl and one little boy and then uh, let's look at the uh the money outlay for Mm -hmm. having another child shall we
0: yeah and then just the fact that you know she's going to be raising two kids i think that's going to
2: you know get her thinking do i want to raise three kids right probably not probably not i think that's probably true that's a good call uh, Doug, I got to run this uh, article by you. The American sedan is dying. Long live the SUV. Do you Do you agree with oh, that? Oh yeah. The well, I don't
3: know. You know, th- these things are cyclical. But um, I think the Honda CRV, I think outsold the Toyota Camry last year. I'd have to look it up. It but did. Yeah. Yeah. Passenger cars, uh, that midsize segment, which was always the most competitive thing, has been uh, lost. It's. Its market share to small crossovers, CRVs, um, RAV4s, uh, Nissan Rogues, uh, Ford Escapes, all that sort of stuff. That's the hottest segment that there is. Although the top three selling vehicles in the country were the F-150, the Silverado, and the Ram. But part of that is because those product lines and are And speaking so of trucks, saw that Ford's bringing back the Ranger. Yeah, that's right. They never uh, should dump right. it. Right. Nope. Now, they, I don't know why they did either.
2: I'll never figure out why they did. With lucrative sport utility vehicle and truck sales on the ascent, Detroit automakers are racing to ditch slow selling cars in favor of the big rigs that mint them money. Chief Executive Officer Sergio Marcione, is that how you say Or Sergio yep. Marchone?
3: I think it is Marcione. S-
2: Marcione, I, th- I would think so. Chief Executive Officer Sergio Marcione, because it's Fiat, right? Isn't right. It Doesn't yeah, Fiat FCA own Chrysler? It's now?
3: called Fiat Chrysler. I don't know what the A stands for.
2: Automobiles. Yeah. That's it. Maybe. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Well, that's what it says here, anyway. Uh, Chief Executive Officer Sergio Marchione started off by killing the Dodge Dart and Chrysler 200 to reorient uh, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles' NV around Jeep SUVs and Ram pickups. The profit boom that's followed has emboldened Detroit's other CEOs to consider snuffing out sedans, such as the Ford Fusion and Chevrolet Impala. The industry thought Sergio was a madman when he did that, and now he looks like a genius, said Jeff Schuster, an analyst with LMC Automotive. He paved the way for everyone. Now with Detroit brands, virtually every car is under review. A slew of sedans on the floor of this week's North American International Auto Show may well be missing or on death row by the time the industry gathers again. Next year in Detroit, U.S. automakers would effectively be waving the white flag after decades of ceding share. In these segments to japanese and korean car brands so that's what it's all about it is japan now leading the way and who buys what
6: uh yeah the,
3: the biggest automakers in the world are uh volkswagen and toyota they're always battle back for the top spot but there is more right. product coming out of japan then but the biggest change in the business is going to be the chinese market that's the one that's where all the growth is and the manufacturers are going to start designing cars for the Chinese market. That will change things quite a bit. It's, it, it's really interesting how it all fits
6: together.
2: Why did America give away the auto industry the way we did?
3: Well, you know, it, it's the, the common story is they sent, I can't remember the guy's name. He was like the production guru over to Japan to help them rebuild their industry after World War II, which was really smart. Right. I mean, it was the opposite approach that we took after World War I, where we put Germany on its knees. So the thinking was well, well, like didn't. the Marshall. The That's right. Um, well, we watched too. Um, we did watch. So it's watch. like, yep. all right, let's rebuild these countries and make them modern. So we did that. But I think the biggest problem is that the Americans got arrogant. They had three companies that controlled ninety-eight percent of the market, and they could not conceive of a world where that that didn't exist. And anytime you do that, it's dangerous. It really is. And the Japanese, when you think dangerous. of where they started, the crappy cars they built. In 1970. We've got one of them at a Honda store. It's a 68 uh, Honda CZ650. It's like a motorcycle engine. And then you look at how far they went in 10 years, it's pretty astounding. They went from just building junk to, you know, that's, and then they developed the Civic and the Camry and then just kept putting pressure on the market. And then the Americans had to catch up and they never really did.
2: You know, uh, Joe just said that they send uh, some of their Ford Escapes to China. So uh, yep. I don't know what that's all about. It's, it's, well, uh, well, again, I mean the whole the whole story with manufacturing, not just automobiles, but all manufacturing came to America because the rest of the world after World War II was pretty much destroyed in the Eastern Hemisphere.
3: Yeah, that's right, and and, and our. Was- manufacturing ability was a big part of the story why we were able to win world yep. war ii certainly yep. we had the troops and stuff but just to be able to keep cranking out planes and tanks uh, you know germany didn't have that ability so
2: so let's not give that up shall we no let's not, <laughs> not a good but idea. I, I will
3: tell you that china is going to drive the change they're they're pushing hard on electric vehicles and i think they're going to drag the rest of the world with them so it'll be interesting to see yeah. if that, that uh, it's true or not it'll be 10 years before it all plays out but that's where they're we headed. just
1: we just walked through a car show down in um, on the riverfront here, and uh, there was a Tesla yep. guy representing, and he was talking about how that new Tesla, it's like $35,000, $65,000, yeah. is it?
3: The it's Model so- 3, I think it is. Yeah, they're yep, more affordable
1: version. They said that he couldn't even get one to put on display because they're just so in demand. Yeah,
3: Tesla. Well, Tesla's <laughs> had production problems. You know, they they took yep. down payment orders on like three or four hundred thousand of those things, and they they can't even build fifty thousand. They've got you know, Elon and yeah. Musk is a really interesting guy, but it, it, it the story is not. It's not done yet. He's got an interesting business model, but they're not able to produce enough cars right now. And the other thing that's happening in this country is those tax breaks are going to go away. In fact, I think not only are they going to sunset, but as a manufacturer, you only got those tax breaks on X number of vehicles. So like the Nissan Leaf and the Chevy Bolt, they're pretty much all run out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here when you lose that $7,500 tax break from the government. I think it's going to crush electric sales in the short term, but... We'll see what happens in
2: the long term. I think you're probably right. We talked about this yesterday with with, uh, Ralph Bashman. He said, I don't think it's a possibility. But California is talking about making it a law, no gasoline vehicles after 2040. And I think I agree with Ralph. There's no way they're going to get that done in 22 years.
3: Yeah, you know, I I think that they could do it with uh, privately owned vehicles, but big heavy-duty trucks, I don't know. Who knows what the technology will be in 20 years, but I don't. I think you're still going to need internal combustion to drive that.
0: Oh, hydrogen could work, but no one's uh, looking into hydrogen. Like, no one cares about hydrogen for some reason. Yeah, is part of the problem is there's no
3: infrastructure for it, and it's, it's, yeah, it would be is. really expensive to build that. I mean, at one point there weren't any gas stations either, so it is possible, but... If
0: they'd want to, I mean, well, you could probably convert much of the gas infrastructure to hydrogen infrastructure if we're just saying, you yeah. know, no more gas at all.
1: Where do you get hydrogen? Stupid question, but I don't uh, know.
0: The air, basically, is an easy one, or water.
1: So you just make it yourself?
0: Well, they, they have electrolysis. They take water and, you know, break it in half, and you're, you end up with hydrogen and oxygen.
1: Okay, so I, sounds I do, easy.
2: <laughs> I do have to mention this uh, while we were at that uh, car show that Catherine... We just happened upon it. We walked up on it. We didn't even know what was going on. That's where Catherine took the picture of me with the purple and the gold Vikings boat. Oh, I saw the that. Viking. Boat.
3: The Viking speedboat. The boat. lucky
2: yeah. boat. Yeah. The Viking speed boat. I don't know why it was at the car show, because it wasn't a boat show. It was a car show. It
1: was the lucky boat.
2: But Catherine, uh, this is a sign that I, I've got big trouble the rest of my life. Catherine walks up in this car, and she goes, that's the most beautiful car I've ever seen in my life. My God, what kind of car is that? That is, oh, God, is that car gorgeous. I said, that's a Bugatti, and it costs two million
0: dollars. Oh, oh, oh. Well, That's one of those, those Ferrari's are nice.
3: Yeah, those are cool. Yep.
1: Oh, you know, I'm not really like, oh, <laughs> look at that sports car. I'm really not. I think they all sort of look like the Batmobile, and it's yeah. right. like, oh, they're cool. <laughs> right. But you know, but that Bugatti was awfully nice looking.
2: <laughs> Thanks, honey. Two million dollar car.
1: That's I didn't say I like. wanted one. I just said it was very, very classy looking. Car
3: shows is a little different in West Palm than it is up here in Minneapolis. <laughs> you don't no, see that yeah, sort yeah. of stu- you cars. don't see that sort of stuff up here.
1: Well, we walked through, what, about 35 Mustangs? Just there were a
2: lot of Mustangs.
1: Mustang Fastbacks.
2: But, I mean, at a car show in Minneapolis, would you ever see a Rolls-Royce Phantom? No. Well, for no. one thing, there's I no mean,
3: dealers it, up here. I mean, the closest ones are in is Chicago. True. That's true. Yeah.
2: That is very, there used to be a Rolls-Royce dealership when I was a D- little boy. D- Don Sears uh,
3: had uh, Rolls. The guy that owned... Uh, well, had, you know, that's right. He had Ro- Yeah, at Mercedes right. and uh, BMW and Rolls-Royce.
2: But when I was a little boy where uh, Cafe Lercat is now, mm-hmm. that building, right across from the Basilica, that where that thing curves, all, all those big windows that yep. run along that the building, that was a Rolls-Royce dealership when I was like three years old. Oh, wow. Three, four years. It was. was a Rolls-Royce dealership. I'll never forget that.
1: Well, given the politics in Minnesota, it's not a good idea to drive one it'll be keyed and kicked in and
2: absolutely you don't see a lot of them that's for sure yeah we will be right back special guest larry singer coming up bonnet house larry singer's book on the bonnet house inspires readers to create their own nature photo safaris each chapter of the book features examples of the fine art nature photography Larry has produced on the grounds of the Bonnet House Museum and Garden in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We'll be right back. Larry Singer, a special guest up next, Tom Bernard Show. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about My Pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone said it was. Well, I received my first My Pillow and I love it. Look, my, my head stays level. You know, it's not too high, not too low. My neck feels much better because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of My Pillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. My Pillow is offering a buy one My Pillow, get another one absolutely free. Don't delay. This offer will end on January 31st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Go to MyPillow.com, but make sure you use the promo code Tom. Again, please use promo code Tom. That's promo code Tom. MyPillow.com.
0: Larry, uh,
1: ready to go? Oh, I got to call him. Oh, you okay. got to call him.
3: Okay. I have a question Does for you guys know? while he's calling him.
1: Okay. Th-
3: have you seen this uh, a show called The Amazing Mrs. Maisel?
5: Yes. Oh, yeah. Marvelous. It's
1: so I love
3: marvelous. marvelous. It's just Isn't marvelous. That's right. And it just gets better and better. It's I just watched probably I, the 6th or 7th episode where you can uh, see she's working on her uh, Her jokes, and she has the setup, and then she keeps changing the punch punch punchlines in different clubs and stuff. It's, I think, it's just amazingly well written.
1: Yeah, I think we've watched what three, four.
3: Yeah, three Three or or four. four. Yeah, really good.
2: The marvelous Mrs. Maisel won a couple of Golden Globes, right? Yep,
3: that's how we found out about it, it. it. And it, she was in. Yeah, uh, she was in House of Cards. She was the uh, hooker that uh, oh. Doug Stamper killed. What? Yep. <laughs> Same woman. Sarah looks at him and goes, "Oh, oh that's f- a girl from House of Cards." I said, "How, how do you even do this?"
1: Yeah. And she looks completely
3: that's different. And you know, some people have just a eye, nose yeah. for faces. That's that's a bad joke. But <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> a nose for faces, yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, it's about a woman whose husband deserts her, and she starts to complain about it on on stage at a comedy club, and people start laughing, so she decides she's going to start a career as a stand-up comedian, and the character, the guy was from um, Rectify, the attorney in Rectify, plays Lenny Bruce in yeah. it, and he's just fantastic it. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he plays yeah. Lenny Bruce. I'm really glad they put Lenny Bruce in that That's show. That's a
1: very well done show.
2: Really smart. But we do have Larry. Larry Singer joins us, ladies and gentlemen, Bonnet House. How you doing, Larry?
6: Really? nice it's nice to be with you guys up there in the great white north the great white north indeed
2: oh, yeah you just oh, called oh, in uh oh, oh. At the end of november yes yeah, sir. exactly we talked to the end of november it was yeah. wonderful
6: it was one of my nicer experiences
2: well see that's nice to hear because it was a good experience for us as well how many books a year do you write like 10.
6: uh no <laughs> as a matter of fact uh i really I, I had to self-publish uh because i couldn't find an agent i couldn't find anybody to do my book so i i self-published a bunch of them and they didn't go anywhere because I couldn't market them. And then I actually got signed by a real honest to god publisher, and uh, they brought out the uh, uh, the rock and roll book we talked about. And they also brought yeah, out one called book. Bonnet House. So uh, basically, tell us about I bon- only write, you know, I, the most I could do is is one a year if I'm if I'm really lucky.
2: Oh God, yeah, one a year's that's that's a big job. As a matter of fact, tell us all about the Bonnet House. It's it's pretty interesting. It's really interesting.
6: Thank you. Well, what Bond House is is a 35-acre estate, and it's right near the beach. It's one. In fact, it borders on the uh, the road that runs right next to the ocean in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, it was built to be a vacation home for some very very wealthy people uh, around 1919, right right at the beginning of the Roaring Twenties. Mm-hmm and it was an amazing, they had all the money in the world, and they built an incredible house, which is really all, you know, very nice, but to me, the the main appeal was the 35 acres surrounding it, because the 35 acres surrounding it, the official name is Bonnet House uh, Museum and Garden, and the 35 acres surrounding it are the gardens, and they are pretty much the way they were back in 1919. The animals are pretty much the same, and everything is still with the plants and everything, so it's like, People, like I said, they had money, and they were artists, and they had taste, and everything they created was just amazing.
2: I, now, the family who built Bonnet House, do you, what industry were they in?
6: Okay, Mr. Birch was the gentleman who gave the land that Bonnet House is on to his daughter. His name is Hugh Taylor Birch, and he was a lawyer. And Mr. Birch was a lawyer in Chicago, and he was a lawyer for a uh, for Standard Oil. His officers were...
4: Uh-huh. Officers
6: were. Uh, three two or three fours below Standard Oil and John D rockefeller and the, he was part of their he was a general counsel for them and he came down to Florida and uh, to get away to, from the Chicago exposition they were having around 1917 1919 around in there 17 and uh, they, they got shipwrecked and he discovered Fort Lauderdale uh, they had a storm and he washed up on shore and really fell in love with it and came back and bought a ton of it and uh, he uh wound up owning about at least four roughly four miles. I think two two, two or three miles from and uh he gave it to the state under the uh, the, the stipulation that it not it be built on the ocean side of, of, of A1A, which runs in next to it. So basically, he's responsible for Fort Lauderdale having our beach and having our beautiful beach as opposed to what they have elsewhere in Florida where you can't even see the beach from the roadway.
2: You know, I, what amazes me about that, and this might be a book idea for you, Larry, because we're talking about this. When you look at... Uh, that area of the world, from uh, basically Miami and Homestead, and then you go up to mm-hmm. up to uh, Fort Lauderdale and up to West Palm Beach and all it—all of those people were, were had something to do with the oil industry or or the railroads, mm-hmm. or you go down the list, and it's it's a fascinating area. And this is a bit off topic, but but since you're from the Fort Lauderdale area, you you might know something about this.
6: Well, it, we it, were talking it, but, on this. Sh- it, 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 oh, go it's ahead. Just, Sorry, it ties in. No, it's okay. Flagler, who built the railroad, he was a partner yep. with, with Rockefeller and Standard Oil. Ah, uh, yep. uh, yeah. So it's all a web. You're right. They all. It is all tied in.
2: So here's what I wanted to ask you, and maybe you know this from your area. Uh, we did a little research on this and discussed it on the show last week. Why didn't Hollywood, Florida, end up being Hollywood? Because why did, why did all those New Yorkers go all the way to Los Angeles when the weather actually is better in Florida than Los Angeles? And the what answer, we found out was pretty interesting.
6: Well, yeah, the answer was uh, Mr. Edison, who controlled the movie cameras, he was yep. an anti Semitic. And they, the Jews who wound up owning the studios, like Goldwyn, et cetera, et cetera, they went out to L.A. to get as far from uh, Mr. Edison as they could get. Because he
2: owned all the patents on movie making, right?
6: Yep. And, and uh, they, uh, they had to deal with him, and they really didn't want to because he didn't want to deal with them. So I'm not really sure of the details, but I know that it was he that drove them out, and uh, that's how Hollywood out there became Hollywood that we know.
2: I think it's just fascinating in the, in the fact that he, being an anti-Semite, he and Ford were big-time buddies. Who also was known as an anti-Semite, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, how much money did Thomas Edison cost himself? Because moving out there, they didn't, from what I understand, have to pay for the right to to, to shoot movies because he was out of. They were kind of out of sight, out of mind how much money did that cost thomas edison because he wouldn't deal with jews what an interesting story
6: that is indeed uh you're 100 right there's there's a lot of things that there's a lot of american history that never gets covered in the classroom no,
2: no you're right and that's why i think books like yours are so important uh books like the bonnet first of all we talked to larry a few months ago about his fanta- the fantastic photography uh that he's done uh, his photography career Started for Circus Magazine in 1971. We talked about images of Rod Stewart and Alice Cooper, nationally distributed posters, Eddie Van Halen. You get on the list. And uh, I was very excited to talk to Larry about that. And then we saw this. Cassie, who uh, does our booking, did a great job reaching out to you because that area uh, of Fort... Again, it's all the way from, well... Actually, it's all the way from Key West when you start talking about Ernest Hemingway. The East Coast, uh, starting, I guess you couldn't really call Key West down the East Coast because it hooks under and around. But you take Key West and you travel up uh, the east side of Florida. The history in that area, uh, the wealth that ended up there, why people did the things they did. I didn't know this. And I, I know I'm I'm getting a little windy here, for Larry, and I apologize. But it fascinates me. Flagler built a railroad from from Key West to Cuba. I didn't know that. I didn't either. What? Yeah, Catherine. I had yeah, no
1: they line. built that overpass from uh, from Miami to Key West, and they were doing one from Key West to Cuba. I don't know if it was ever finished. It was, it was finished. Cuba. Oh, Yeah, all the way to Cuba. Was that was the, next, that was the next. That was the next step. Wow. Yep.
2: Uh, yep. Yep. I'm scared of bridges. But it was never.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well,
0: on 90 too. mile bridge, I don't know. That's a that's a long. Yeah. Bridge. He was a
1: very. Yeah. He was very very enthusiastic about
6: <laughs> like, well, he about South Florida. Not only were those people down here. I mean, Al Capone was down here. I mean, this was like. Oh yeah. A mob. This is. This was the underworld vacation headquarters.
2: Miami. I just think it's. I, I, it is wonderful. How did you get in? Now, how did you get involved with photography? Or your interest in photography became so great. What was the reason
6: for that? In the air force, my my dad had been a photographer. was a studio photographer and did weddings and studio. He never taught me, but I went in the air. I used to watch him, and I he figured you know I he, I guess he figured I wasn't interested. And I went in the air force. He bought me a camera before I went in. Said you, you know you need this, learn how to use it, take pictures, and I did. And as I think I may have told you the last time, it was the only thing I ever found that I could do well and actually earn a living at. Uh, the, you know, with, with, without having to do manual labor. And I'm, you know, I, <laughs> I, I tell you. And uh, I was very lucky. And I, and <clears throat> but back to Bonnet House. I mean, the, okay, the Bonnet House is really was supposed to be originally titled. Uh, the current residents of Bonnet House. Because everything out in, in the book is alive, and everything in the book resides either temporarily or full time at Bonnet House. And there's everything from flowers, there's, I mean, and not only that, but every picture, in, under every picture, it tells what lens I use, and what camera I use, and what settings I use, so that if you anybody who reads this wants to go out and take uh, pictures similar to mine, you know, of the same quality, it's all right there for them. And, it, and it's in every uh, caption. So uh, uh, it's a picture that, you know, the real item, but like I said, if if there are any photographers out there and and they love landscape photography, they love nature photography, I think there's a few decent nature shots in there that they might uh, want to, you know, like I learned from other people, they might want to learn from me. That would be great. I think it is wonderful. Can I
1: ask a question? I have a friend who started in with food um, photography. She's been fairly successful and she's got a couple of books out and she's... She's insulted when people ask her what camera she used. She's like, it's my talent, not the camera. And I'm like, I think it's sometimes the camera.
0: The camera, yeah. Having a nice camera is very important.
6: Here's right? What the camera can do is help you make your vision come true. That's what yeah. the camera can do. The camera can't do magic. The camera can't make something appear that isn't there. And that's something the photographers, as opposed to the people who draw, we have to rely on what's in front of us. And you just have to you know, keep moving and get yourself in the best light. One of the pictures in here, I hate to interrupt, but one of the pictures in this book, okay, there were, there are, they, one of the things they have at Bonnet House is about 100 iguanas. And they range in size from a couple inches to like three or four or five feet. And I wanted to get iguana portraits. But iguanas are the most antisocial critters in the world. When they <laughs> see you, they run. They can swim. They dive in the water. They're faster than a torpedo. They can go up a tree quicker than any monkey anywhere. And they're noisy when they wow. do it. They run. And the thing is, I wanted them looking straight at me in a formal portrait. And I got two of two pictures. And I was so thrilled because as I'm creeping up on them, I know they can, they're looking right at me. I know they can see me, and I'm just waiting for them to bolt, and I managed to get close enough to get the pictures. So I was, of all the pictures, the ones I'm, I'm the most thrilled with are those iguanas because those iguanas, let me tell you, they don't like sticking around. They like to go away from people as quick as possible.
1: If they're cold, are they easier to <laughs> capture? Well, they're,
6: they're, as a matter of fact, they would be. Because they have to go out and sun themselves. Uh, one yeah. of the pictures in the book shows an iguana sunning himself next to an aninga, a bird. And I discovered aningas—you always see aningas on the side of the road or next to water with their wings out. And the reason their wings are out is they don't have oil. And when they dive for the dive for food in the water, they when they come up because there's no oil, they the only way they can. Dr- why again is to wait for the sun to dry out their wings, and that's why I got some really good Ininga pictures because I got close enough to them because I knew they couldn't go anywhere, and <laughs> the Iningas knew I really wasn't going to hurt them. They didn't smell any kind of anger or any kind of hurt on me. That was the other thing about the animals. The animals. I shot this book over 18 months, and I, it was like three or four times a week for an hour and a half, starting at nine o'clock in the morning till about ten or ten thirty, because after that the heat. This will not permit it, uh, it I, I was soaked. Uh, my, my clothes looked like I had gone through the pond every day, but it was worth it because every time I went, there was something incredible there. The first time I went to take pictures at Bonnet House, I took a photograph of a bee with flowers reflected in its eyes of the flower he was standing on, and it made the uh-huh. cover of a bee magazine, the first picture I ever took there. And if you didn't think that drove me back again, again, and again, eh. <laughs> okay? I would it,
2: imagine so. Really,
6: it, it, and, and, and over the year, I said to myself, gee, you got everything. You, 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 you want to keep going back. And every time there'd be something new. Uh, there's one I picture, think it's wonderful. There's one bird, there's a picture in there called Nine Birds, Nine Beaks. And there's nine ibises in a tree, and I wanted all of their faces. I wanted you to, to be able to see them. And when I sh- walked up on her, and I saw them across the water. They were facing in different directions, their white blobs. And I had to wait 20, 25, 30 minutes for them to turn around and get them to all look at me. So uh, it was fun. It was a, what truly a labor of love. It really was.
2: It's wonderful. Larry Singer, thank you very much for your time, sir. The Bonnet House. Larry, always a great pleasure. I hope to talk to you again soon, sir.
6: Hey, thank you for the the time. You have a, a, a great, great year, sir.
2: You as well. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.